It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Good morning and welcome to The Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. As you will have heard on our news headlines, officials have confirmed that Louth County Council's housing maintenance budget has run out. The revelation came at a meeting of Dundalk Municipal District yesterday in the Carlingford Heritage Centre and two of the councillors who are at that meeting join us now. Councillor John McGahan is Fianna Gael Councillor on Louth County Council and Councillor Emma Coffey is Fianna Fáil Councillor on Louth County Council. Can I begin with you, John? The revelation last night that the budget has been burst, this is due, of course, to the repairs caused by the weather. Did this come as a surprise to members? Uh, I, I, I think it did, to be honest. Um, you know, because obviously we've been told that in the start of September that we've run out of a budget until the end of December. It would certainly be would certainly be a surprise. Uh, and that is it, you know, in black and white. You know, we are told by the County Council that there will be no further funding for the maintenance of houses for the remainder of 2018. I suppose the first point I really want to get across, Cahill, is that the staff in Louth County Council who are responsible for the maintenance uh, of houses in County Louth are absolutely fantastic. And there's been so many occasions, and I'm sure Councillor Coffey will agree with me, where we've had to get in touch with those staff after hours, at weekends, and a whole situation of cases. Um, And they they go above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, in terms of maintenance for houses. Uh, And they've also been very efficient uh, throughout the year when it comes to any requests. You know, it's generally always done very quickly. There's somebody out within a day or two have been reported. uh, And I would have absolutely zero complaints uh, about the staff and how we go about um, housing maintenance in County Louth whenever I've brought any issues to them. The second point I would make is that maintenance queries haven't all of a sudden jumped up overnight. Uh, As of the 31st of July 2018, there were 418 outstanding maintenance requests. At the same time, on the 31st of July 2017, this figure was 385. So that's a difference of 33, an increase of 33, which represents roughly a 10% increase. So it's kind of, um, when you look at it, like it's not a huge increase, but it just shows you how tight our budgets actually are at a local authority level. Also on the line is Councillor Emma Coffey, Fianna Fáil Councillor. Good morning to you, Emma. Good morning, Carl. How are you? Is this due to the weather? I mean, while John says there are only 10% roughly increase in the number of repairs, is it the nature of the repairs due to the very harsh winter? And then, of course, we had a very hot summer. No, I I, I actually think it's the level of housing stock we actually have. Uh, It's the age of the the houses in question, I think, have to be taken into account. And, you know, there was an overspend in 2017 of the housing budget, uh, I, I don't have the figures to hand, but it was acknowledged last last night at that meeting that there was an overspend uh, of the budget in 2017. We're now looking at, 
no nothing in the coffers for the housing budget for the remaining of the year, which obviously can't uh, remain that in in that instance. We have to find the money somewhere, and I understand that management are actually, the management team are actually actively looking at solutions in respect of that. Um, but it, it, yes, I have to say whether whether it will have to be taken into consideration. You and know, you, you've you've had approaches from constituents, haven't you? You've had approaches from people with problems that are now existing that will not be repaired. Yes, I have issues where, in regards to um, obviously inflation and obviously repairs to roof, and obviously if they don't get uh, dealt with. Uh, prior to the harsh weather coming in, it's going to have an added cost to the council when they do actually find funds and do have the resources to uh, money to repair those um, initial, obviously straightforward repairs are now going to be compounded uh, because there's going to be more damage uh, taking place. Obviously, you know when a, when tiles are taken off a roof and bad weather comes in, you, it doesn't take an engineer or a plumber or, or a roofer to tell you what's going to happen there. Um, so I, what my fear is, is that, you know, we're going to be looking at a housing maintenance uh, crisis uh, and, and a significant crisis each year. And, and that's not in the interest of the council and it's not in the interest of the tenants. Uh, John, had- John, can I just ask you, was there any indication last night that the talks uh, with the council will produce more funds? Yeah, well, I'd be, look, I'm, Carl, I'm an out-and-out optimist, and where there's a will, there's a way. That's kind of my uh, attitude towards politics. And I've kind of, I suppose, when I was thinking about this this morning when I got the phone call to come on, I jotted down about three choices that I think we now have uh, as county councillors to try and resolve this between now and 2018. I suppose the first choice is um, we have our first pre-budget meeting at 4.30 today, and they're the discussions that kind of take place about when we're putting together a budget. We don't have the exact figure that's needed for maintenance to be carried out between now and the rest of the... Do we know? How many houses are waiting on repairs? Um, I don't have the agenda to me in front of me. That figure would have been on our agenda, but I don't have that to hand. But the point is, we can either get the figure today, we can then look at where we have to try and switch money around in the budget and try and cover it that way. The second choice we actually have is that Loud County Council um, and all local authorities in the country, but Loud County Council are expecting a rebate from the department for any expenditure incurred. Uh, that they incurred when they were expecting any storm damage in 2018. So I was speaking with officials in the department this morning. They confirmed to me that Louth County Council is due to get a rebate of €82,000 by the end of this year. And that money needs to be drawn down by Louth County Council. It needs to be signed off by the uh, minister and then it can be drawn down. So I'd be calling on the minister to expedite that. But the issue with that is if we are getting that money back by the end of this year, which we will, I'd be calling on some of that money to be ring-fenced for maintenance. The third uh, choice that we have, and this is something that was said last night, and it's something I actually thoroughly agree with. The third choice is we should be allowing tenants, where they wish uh, and where they can afford to do it, to pay for the repairs themselves and then have a reduction in their rent subsequently. So like any private landlord, if I have a problem with my boiler or anything like that, and I'll say, look, I'll pay the 200 quid to get this fixed this week, he turns around and says, that's grand, take 200 quid off your rent next week. That is something we should really be looking at because it means that you have people who will be able to do it, they get the job done, they don't pay the same amount on their rent for the following week and they're not sitting around for three months while councillors try and figure out how to, how to cover a budget deficit. Councillor Coffey, um, you have a householder with a radiator in a bathroom that is broken, for example, and the weather's going to change, mm-hmm. as you've already said. Uh, and I'm sure that story isn't isolated. No, it isn't. And I mean, yeah, you asked for the figure of outstanding uh, requests. It's 142 as of July 2018. Uh, and that's we haven't had the figures for, for August to date as yet. Obviously, we appreciate we'll come in a month uh, in arrears. 
But I agree in principle with, with what Councillor McGahan has said, and it was, it was discussed in detail in regards to repairs uh, carried out by tenants, which there is actually a procedure in place at the moment where they have to basically send in a written request that they can carry out those repa- repairs. But there is no procedure in place where that with the cost of such repairs be ca- offset against rent. Now, I want to make it very clear, and I made it clear very uh, out last night, I think in principle that type of scheme should be explored. Uh, I definitely would encourage it. We have to be practical about these issues. We have a, we have a fixed amount of money that needs to be stretched across various departments. And obviously, we have to cut our, our cost to meet our measure. But house maintenance is in the interest of everybody. And obviously, tenants will have to pay their rent. It's not a case of, you know, if they're in rent, significant rent arrears and the carry out repairs. And this this was an issue. This was an issue that came up at last night's meeting and we yes. heard it on the news there. The yes. council is currently owed 4.7 million euro. 4.7 million. That would fix a lot of houses. It would fix a great amount of houses. Now, that is it's an ongoing issue that has been raised at every council meeting since I've been co-opted in 2016 in regards to the to the rental arrears figure, which is increasing and increasing. The information we've been given is that there is payment plans in place for, for, for a significant number of those tenants. But the reality of it is, you know, those, those payment plans are in accordance with the means of the tenants. So, you know, we can only take it from there in respect of it. But yes, John- what I, Sorry, John. John McGann, can yes. I ask you, I mean, there was one case brought up last night where we were told that a tenant has offered to pay €700 Euros towards their own repairs, but they owe €3,000 in rent. Yeah, I actually, funny enough, I had that just jotted down when I heard you, when I heard Councillor Coffee talking about that. Yeah, that was mentioned last night. And that was mentioned as a way to say, um, after it was raised, the right. officials kind of replied back to say, oh, well, we wouldn't be in favour of that. And absolutely, no one's in favour of that uh, when you have arrears to pay. But then I came in with a follow-up question uh, to say, well, how many people are in that situation? Well, pri- pri- uh, private residents, private residents listening to this, just listen to me out for one second, John. Private le- residents listening to this, people who pay their own repairs on their own houses, are going to ask how somebody can owe €3,000 in rent and expect the council to fix or offer to pay it themselves. Yes, but my point is, and the question I asked last night, and I was told in my response that that was a unique case. So I don't, and I want to be quite clear about this, Carl. It can't be that, that unique one, if there's four point something one, million in arrears. Let me let me finish. Well, I'm happy to talk about arrears, but it's a totally different topic. But the point of the seven hundred and the three thousand euro, which you just brought up, is one unique case, and I think it is unfair to use one unique case. Uh, across the board in what's a very many different situations. If a person is not in arrears, if they have the rent up to date, if they have an issue in their house, if they're willing to pay it rather than wait three months for the council to get new budgets in January, they should be able to pay it and get that money taken off their rent the following week. Simple as, and that's my proposal. Councillor Coffey, what, do you know what the budget was for 2018? Uh, I don't offhand, Cahill, um, in regards to it, but it's gone. I mean, our council official stated last night, it's gone. It's There's gone. nothing there. Uh, and we would have approved it last um, last year, and we would have went to budget workshops, and it would have been presented to us, and we would have discussed it. We're now entering budget workshops uh, today, actually, uh, and we're now going to be uh, having to see... Uh, obviously, increase with an increase in the it was an increase in the housing maintenance budget this year because of the overspend in 2017, and we're now going to be looking at where we can we can look at the money for the housing maintenance. Just in, in clarification in regards to what Councillor McGahan has said, I, I have to say so it was supported in regards that where tenants are compliant, fully compliant with their terms of tenancy, i.e., their rent up to date, 
um, and they're a good tenant, why should they, they should not be penalised if there is repairs that need to be and I don't think I don't think anybody would have an issue with that yeah. certainly you're going to have plenty to talk about at your budget meeting today our thanks to Councillor John McGahan from Fine Gael and Councillor Emma Coffey from Fianna Fáil we're going to switch our attentions now to the latest uh, row it appears between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael and we are going to discuss that with Shane Castles after this break Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. Now, just some of the newspaper headlines this morning. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in standoff on talks for new deal. Veradkar put €600 Euro tax break on wish list for Fianna Fáil deal. Phony war continues, but Brexit will determine election date. And Veradkar denies trying to force early election. This all, of course, on the back of a letter published yesterday by Leo Varadkar where he asked for no general election until 2020. He is asking Fianna Fáil to extend the confidence and supply agreement beyond this budget because he says a government cannot function on a week-to-week basis if they do not have stability and if they do not have a long-term agreement. Fianna Fáil, of course, are saying this is all a distraction uh, according to various Fianna Fáil sources this morning and one of those who is going to join us now is Deputy Shane Castles, Fianna Fáil TD for Mead West. Good morning to you, Deputy. Good morning, Carl. A distraction? Well, I think the <clears throat> political funny season is, is, instead of coming to an end, it's actually only cranking up again uh, with Leo penning his, his love letters. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, Leo seems to be more intent it's, it's on... It's hardly a love letter, Shane. Well, I'll put it this way, uh, Carl. The, the Taoiseach, the current Taoiseach, knows quite well the parameters of the confidence supply agreement. And why he knows quite well the parameters of the confidence supply agreement, he was one of the Fine Gael delegation that was sent to Trinity College to negotiate it. So he knows quite well from the get-go uh, the terms and conditions. And he knows quite well that the third budget has not only not been uh, completed yet, it hasn't even been negotiated or agreed. Those talks, so, start, those so, talks start today, don't they? So, so, so trying to be the, uh, the guy that gets out of the traps and halfway down the track... Uh, before things have even begun, is quite, uh, is quite plainly, as the, as the Irish Independent uh, succinctly put it today, political chancery. And it's political chancery uh, that the voters won't forget as well when he has such a plethora of issues, whether it be homelessness or health or any of the other issues facing him, on his doorstep, and he's more intent. And trying to use this kind of line that, you know, a government can't function uh, from day to day or week to week. Uh, and as Michal Martin quite rightly put it back to him when he replied to him, he says, of course it can, because it would be extraordinary if we were to agree that ministers could not be expected to do their jobs without uh, assurance of a compliant doll. Does he want everyone to go in and sit in their hands and just say, geez, you're great, Leo? I don't think so, Carl. I don't just think just to remind listeners, the deal is for three budgets, is it not? It is indeed. And, and the... the for the third budget to be carried out and for various bits and pieces to be implemented would bring us up to Christmas. It would indeed. And I think, I mean, again, from, from the point of view of, of people living uh, their, their lives and wanting to know that you actually have budgetary stability for the country for 2019, that is the responsible thing to do. If you're running a business, call, if you're running your own home, uh, and you want to know in terms of whether it be income tax, whether it be child benefit, whether it be whatever, whether it be uh, business taxes, uh, taxes on 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 various things you want to know what the budgetary scenario is 
for 2019. Now, in that, that, that is what was signed up to, to be able to provide for that so people would have that stability uh, for three years and be able to uh, live their lives accordingly. In response to that, I've heard your, your constituency colleague, uh, Regina Doherty, say that Fianna Fáil's reaction this morning is childish that you guys are posturing that uh, all Fianna Gael are looking for is a commitment that there will be a new relationship and there will be a long-term agreement that will allow them to get on with the job in hand. But by the sounds of it, are you childish? Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's an amazing set of words uh, by people that are dependent on another political party uh, to actually underpin survival of a doll and throwing language around like that. Now, look, we all know Regina is, I mean, my God, she's famous in your show and, and subsequently famous on national radio because of some of the language that she throws around. And I, I, I wonder what she just having for breakfast sometimes because, I mean, early in the morning... She was having Fianna Fáil for breakfast this morning, Shane. I don't think so, Carl. <laughs> I don't think so. And again, I ret- again, you know, you might just think that this is funny, but again, I go back. You look at the editorial today in the Indo. They are pointing clearly out that if Fine Gael thinks it's political chancery, it's going to go down well with the public and that you just, you know, will insult Fianna Fáil, will do this, will do that. Well, I tell you what, you'll end up with an election fairly soon and Fine Gael... Well, why, why don't we just have the election and get it? Fine Gael will be the ones that w- will have caused that, you know? But I'll tell you why, Cahill. Because unlike Fine Gael, who seem to be looking for the exit strategy, and this is... Don't cod yourself, Cahill. They're sitting in a back room, they're looking at poll numbers... They're trying to say to themselves, we'll provoke these guys to the hilt, we'll cut and run now. These guys don't care about the country. Unlike them, we are prepared to honour what we said we would do and provide stability, not for them, not for them, but for the people in this country so that they know they actually have stability for 2019. And at that point, when the legislative process, as you said, which brings up to Christmas, has been concluded, that's the end of the deal at that point. That's the end of the deal at that point. And do you think, Shane, will that then be the end of the government? Well, I put it this way, Carl, I have no particular graph for this particular arrangement whatsoever. Uh, but what, I, what, what we did do, and obviously I was a first-time uh, TD coming into this stall, uh, learning the ropes, you, you, looked at the, you looked at the arithmetic. For two months, we went on with a situation where there was no doll. Uh, and people were saying, you know, get on with it, we want a government, we want... And we've, seen, we've, seen in the north, we've seen in the north where that leads. Exactly, where, where you actually have nothing, so nothing gets done. And you actually have a total political hiatus. Uh, and we know who's responsible for that, uh, effectively Sinn Féin, who are the same guys who in February 2016 were goading the rest of the doll to go and actually do a deal uh, and, and get the doll functioning. And the minute the doll started functioning, what did they say? They wanted to bring it down. And I'm glad they're being called out in the paper today. I'm glad they're being called out that they, they enjoy a free reign and sniping from the ditch, but never take responsibility. If they have solutions they will for say housing, to you, if they, they have they solutions will. for health, I'd love to hear them. Well, these guys, these guys call I don't see the colour of their money. They're going to, they're going to announce their plans on, on uh, house rental uh, deals next week, for example. And they're also saying that they are now preparing for an election and they are prepared to go into government. So there's an easy option here. Get rid of Fine Gael and go into partnership with Sinn Féin. Yeah, they're, they're always talking about getting into government. But geez, they can't last in the call. We've seen that in the north. They couldn't last in government there. And when it came to the crunch down here, they went running for the hills as well. And they didn't want to talk to anybody. So, you know, talk is cheap. And it's fairly cheap when it comes to Sinn Féin. Well, would, well. You go, would you go into government with them, Shane? No, I, I, well, Carl, if you, if you read my comments my, at RR Desh uh, last November, I think, you know, you'll get your answer on, on my score with Sinn Féin. No, I have no time uh, or no truck for Sinn Féin whatsoever. They're going around talking about various things. They're going around, you're talking about housing, rental strategies and homelessness. We had a launch of, of 43 homes in Mead last Friday, Carl. 11 in Trim and uh, 32 in Atboy. Uh, the one in Trim was actually across the road from Pather Tobin's office. No sign of him there. The one in Atboy, 
um, we went and for the families in those 32 homes and we have a very big housing crisis in Meath and I've been fairly critical of Minister English but when someone does something right will you go and you say that's a good job well done and I wanted to meet the families who we helped as well secure a home and actually see good things happen Pada wasn't there I was thinking, you know, cut a guy a break. He could be on holidays. We walked around the corner onto the main street. There he was handing out leaflets. If he couldn't be bothered, Cahill, to walk the 20 yards from the main street down to Connacht Grove to meet the 32 families who had a home and see something positive, are they really interested in homelessness? Are they really interested in housing? Well, that doesn't cut it for me, Cahill. So let's, let's say that Padre Tobin proposes his vote of no confidence in Damien English, just as Sinn Féin have said they would propose a vote of no confidence in Owen Murphy. You, you clearly won't support either. Well, I tell you what, it would have suited Padre Tobin a damn sight better to walk the 20 yards round the corner to actually look at a housing project by Mead County Council rather than be standing on the street handing out leaflets. He doesn't seem that interested in housing. It is the protest uh, it is the politics of protest. It's typical of Sinn Féin. When something's good happening, run for the hills. But look at lads, when something's bad happening, you know, we'll, we'll give out about it. Let's go, um, back. Let's go back to Fine Gael for a second then. Where, where are you going to stand? I mean, when, when your representatives go in today to sit down with Fine Gael to discuss the budget, there's going to be a frostiness surely in the air. No, I don't think so, because we have Barry Cowan as part of that um, negotiation now as uh, um, a spokesperson for public expenditure reform. And if you know Barry, he'll, he'll fairly cut through the, uh, the frostiness and, and add a sense of uh, heat to it fairly quickly, uh, Cahill, because we won't be interested in, uh, you know, uh, childish remarks by Regina Doherty or anyone else. We'll be interested in what we have to say and putting down... Uh, the requirements that we want to see happen uh, in different areas. What are they? What are they? Well, that includes, I mean, I know you were talking earlier the week uh, to Timmy Dooley in terms of the post office situation as well and the money that we're looking in terms of being able to subsidise uh, the network uh, across the country uh, so that would be able to happen and so that rather than being just dependent because a lot of them are not commercially viable so rather than actually having them just dependent on commercial viability that there would be a subsidy to allow them to actually uh, be maintained in areas where they're not. And again, there we are coming forward with a proposal which is costed and trying to make it part of Budget 2019 rather than the protest politics of Sinn Féin. And I find Sinn Féin it will tell you that they were, say, they'll say, say they were at the meeting in Ratmaline. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, they went to the meeting in the Crown Ross, and can I just say that they'll find it fairly laughable that Sinn Féin are going on about post offices. These are the guys, these are the guys, Cahill, who have a TD in Dáil Éireann who actually rocked up in a high ace, white high ace van to collect the guy who murdered Jerry McCabe. Okay, okay, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go back to we're gonna go back to Fine Gael. We're gonna go back to Fine Gael for a second, please. No, hang on a second, call. No, 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 no. Let's let's. And a TD who's sitting in Dáil Éireann for Sinn Féin. And I'm sure, and I'm sure you've made that point. Guy who shot Jerry McCabe. I'm sure you've made that point many times before. Can I just? Can I just finally bring you back to Fine Gael for one second, please? Because we're running out of time. Are Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael going to be in government after Christmas? We're not in government, Cahill. You seem but to you've just told me you're, your part, you're their partners. No, 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 that was, no, that was no, your no, word. Cahill, excuse me. We, we allow the facilitation of a doll. Fine Gael are in government. I don't see me sitting on the government benches. Fine Gael are in government. We facilitate a doll that is actually allowed to survive. We will look at the situation in terms of budget 2019. Our guys are going in in terms of what uh, our party believes should be key priorities and if they don't deliver on that that budget will not go through and then you will be faced an election so it's up to Finnegan now to face up to the realities of what this country is being challenged with and we'll see where it takes us from there So the ball is very firmly in their court Much so Shane Castles Deputy Shane Castles Fianna Fáil TD from Meath West thank you for your very interesting contribution this morning we do value your time and I know you're a busy man thank you for that 
Shane Castle's there. Marie Cairns, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Interesting. It's all happening. <laughs> it sure is. I'm here, though, to give you the stories that are making the news in the local, the local papers this week. And first, we're going to Dundalk and to the Argus newspaper. And the Argus leads with increased speculations, actually a political story surrounding Peter Fitzpatrick. Uh, you'll remember, of course, he's sitting Fine Gael TD and he announced early last month that he would not be seeking a nomination to run for Fine Gael in the next general election. At that time, there was speculation that he may run as an independent a pendant even and that's gaining momentum at the moment and the Argus is focusing on this story this this week um, and interestingly the Dundalk leader is too they're also speculation and saying, speculating and saying that he is tipped to run as an independent but Peter is keeping his cards close to his chest and saying that he won't be making any announcement until after the Fine Gael selection convention which takes place on September 27th. And he would have a decent support base, wouldn't he, if he, if he was to run independently? Of course he would. Mm. Of course he would. Well, you'd obviously think that he would lose some of the Fine Gael vote to whoever they decide to run and that's going to be decided at that selection convention. But he would have a big personal vote, a strong GAA vote within the county. So it'll be interesting mm. to see. But the fact that he's saying nothing would make you think it could happen. Sometimes nothing says more than anything. <laughs> yes. A nice little story also in the Dundalk leader this week and it's sport related so you'll enjoy this like particularly. This. It's a little story about the Dundalk FC ladies team of 1968 who met President Michael G. Higgins and his wife while they were guest of honours for the ladies World Cup qualifier between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland on Friday evening last in Tala. The ladies were brought out to the pitch during halftime and got a great reception and were treated like VIPs and, and tell, and and tell the so. leader that they had a blast. Rightly yes, so. Fantastic. The Dundalk Democrat has all been about back to school over the past week and the paper has a fabulous picture. I love it. On the front page of two little girls on the first day of school wearing in a gale in Dundalk. It, it leads with that awful vicious iron bar attack on the 51-year-old man who sustained uh, head injuries after being savagely beaten on the ramparts lane in Dundalk. And we heard from Garda Ken Bogan That's yesterday. Right, they're, they're, yeah. asking, they're asking for anybody with information of any sort to come forward with Yes, that. just horrendous incident. Uh, the Mead Chronicle then, and it leads with that story regarding the property tax hike being averted for now. But it's a story on page 14 by Paul Murphy that caught my attention. And it reveals that the combined pay of councillors in Mead topped 1 million last year when you take into account their basic pay of 16,625.27 and then the extras for travel etc. over the year. And there's a breakdown for each councillor. So well, this is going quite, to, this is going to cause great debate. I can just see this. It's, it's quite an interesting read for those who may be interested <laughs> in that type of thing. <laughs> I can just see the conversation in the Irish bar tonight with fellas are saying, did you see how much your man down the road got for being on the council? And look, councillors, they have a hard job. They sure do and they work hard for the money and obviously all of that is accounted for but because you would get money if you have to travel a certain distance and also if you attend conferences or training or, or other, you know, important... Or the, or the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York. 
to Drogheda then and <laughs> the Drogheda Independent leads with the story concerning the plight of residents of the Windmill Road which of course now may be resolved with the resident only parking proposal for one side of the road uh, but there's a nice little story too that's inside and that's a campaign that's underway to secure a playground for the north side of the town and that's been spearheaded by local Labour Senator Gerald Nash and his party colleague Councillor Pio Smith there is already a playground for those who live in Drogheda will know on the south side of the town. So this is a campaign to get one on the north side and I'm sure that will be welcomed by and parents. And there's, there's huge growth could, on the north yes, side of Drogheda, isn't there? Walk their children maybe to a playground and not have to drive because it is some distance if you have to go well, from... We were discussing last week 5,000 houses being built or to be built on the north side of Drogheda. They're, 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 th- thankfully they are starting to build again because there was such a shortage of housing. Uh, so there will be, as I'd imagine, substantial so house building over the next couple of years. Coming. If they secure it, but they'll have to get the money in. If they're looking for the council, I don't think there's too much funding there. Speaking of the council, the Drogheda leader covers the walkout by the chief executive of Loud County Council at the Drogheda Municipal Meeting on Monday night, which the paper reports left the councillors shocked and confused. The story by Ian Water says that the chief executive gathered up her things and stormed out, saying that she would never attend another meeting in Drogheda and the meeting went on but she never returned She'll never attend another meeting That's, Two, that's what she, 200, they reported Isn't that what we were saying yesterday when we had the lads in we were talking about this pay parking, 200,000 euros is the cost to the revenue I'm sure she will, it was probably said in the heat of the moment Inside the paper too, in its viewpoint column, the leader uh, says that the Drogheda's days of being a third tier forgotten town that the government abandoned could dramatically change if urban planner Dr Brian Hughes's prediction that the town would become the administrative capital of the North East following a merger and a wait for it of Loud County Council and Meath County Council comes to fruition. The column is also proposing that they bring in American managers to run the new Meath Loud Council. So there's a thought. Boutrous, boutrous galley, I think. So have a read of that. that. So it's, it's going to be LM Coco. Absolutely. A little bit like LMFM. That's right. So Loud and Meath to merge. Mm. That's what is being proposed. Anyway. I say there'll be some comments on that one. Thank you, as always, for that no review problem. of the weekly papers. I think it's a great uh, addition to the programme. I've said that to you before. I think the fact that Michael and yourself go through the local papers because the local journalists, as you and I well know, are the backbone of the community. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And you're welcome back to the programme. 86 658 is our text number. 86 658 is also our WhatsApp number. And we're on Twitter at LMFM Radio across Facebook and Instagram as well. Earlier in the programme, we heard how repair works on houses damaged by the recent bad weather, hot and cold, has caused problems for Louth County Council in the Dundalk region. And we're going to hear now from Pat Deering, who is chairman of the Joint Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine, on how this has affected the farm industry. Good morning to you, Deputy. Good morning, Carl. How are you? It has, Deputy, by all accounts, been a very severe uh, year for weather between the, the snow, the huge snow that we had earlier, and of course then the the heat this summer. Tell us how that has affected the farming community, first of all, and then why uh, you guys are going to meet tomorrow with the banks, etc., on the Joint Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Yeah, it's been a very difficult year from a farming point of view, with that off, as you rightly indicated. Uh, we had, uh, I suppose, a long winter. First of all, we had a rain last winter, then we had snow. Uh, and then we came into a very unusual place where we had drought for a long period of time. 
uh, has been fodder has been a big issue in certain parts of the country last winter, last uh, this time last year. There was a huge scarcity in particular along the northwest area and some parts of the west as well, which meant that farmers in the southeast, which is normally a fairly productive part of the country, would normally be a supplier uh, to the western parts of the country. Uh, they would have supplied that part of the country uh, at that time of the year. But since, since the, the summer and the drought came, the most difficult and most affected areas have been the southeast, with uh, my own area, Carrow, Kilkenny, Waterford, a bit of Wicklow, Wexford, uh, and Tipperary to a large extent. And they have been, I suppose, one could argue they are the most productive and most uh, productive areas in the country, which uh, have uh, very intense farming areas. Now, they have, have uh, for the most part of the summer, they've been feeding uh, a lot of their first cut silage. There has been no second cut silage made in, in the vast majority of areas, even at this stage. Uh, so there's been huge extra cost involved. There was cost, extra cost involved in the springtime by, buying and sourcing extra fodder. Uh, and now we're going to have extra cost during the whole summertime, uh, feeding extra meal, uh, extra uh, concentrates. Uh, and all that. Now we're going to be heading into a time whereby uh, there's going to be, have to be imports, uh, there's extra feed going to be bought in source for the winter. Uh, and the big issue uh, that we have now at the moment is the cost of all this. Because I'm, so sure, I'm sure, Deputy, when, when farmers sat down last year to budget for this year, they, they couldn't have foreseen any of this. Absolutely not. No, Nobody can control the weather, I suppose, which maybe is just as well from a lot of point of views, but nobody could have expected that we were going to go from one extreme to the next in a very short space of time. Within a year, we have two crises or fodder crises in the agriculture sector, uh, even though there are different areas involved. At this particular time, every sector has, has been affected. We see the dairy sector, which is very intense now at the moment, they have been going through a very difficult time. The beef sector, likewise, the tillage sector, because there has been a lot of drought during the year, the yields in the tillage sector have been substantially reduced. Uh, the yields in the, in the cor- action corn and the yields of straw which means that the prices of straw have, have gone up threefold in this particular year compared to last year. Your average bale of straw now is, is round bale of straw, four by four round bale of straw, which would normally make about 10 euro, is making excessive 30 euro now at the moment, which is a huge increase in cost. And way above inflation. Absolutely, way above inflation. Now, your meeting, apologies, I, I said uh, you're about to meet, but you've already had this meeting with the Agriculture Minister, Michael Creed, and representatives from the four banks. They met with the Joint Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine yesterday. What happened at the meeting and, and what's going to happen next? Yeah, we, we decided as a committee that we would bring uh, in the Minister uh, and the banks uh, in, in advance of the door returning on the 18th of, uh, 18th of September. So we had a meeting yesterday. The idea was for the being of the minister in to give for the minister to give uh, the committee an update on what he has done so far, what more he has planned to do over the next period of time. Uh, and I personally felt that the banks have a very important part to play. So I invited as chairman, I invited into four uh, three main banks: Bank of Ireland, Ulster Bank, uh, and AIB, plus the Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland. We bought them in yesterday because they were very instrumental in the last uh, round of uh, low uh, low cost. Uh, interest loans uh, that were announced uh, and allocated uh, in the spring of 2017. And there's been a lot of talk in recent times about the cash flow difficulties that are exist at the moment in farming uh, and actual credit and availability of credit for farmers to meet the demands over the next period of time. So we brought them in yesterday. The minister outlined exactly what had been done, the different initiatives that have been introduced. There's been the fodder, uh, been the importation uh, initiative that has been introduced in the last period of time. Four and a half million euros being set aside for the importation of fodder. There's been a tillage initiative also introduced, whereby tillage farmers who grow winter cereals are incentivised 
the sort of catch crop, uh, which can be used for fodder, uh, for farming, for dairy farmers and for, te- and for beef farmers during the year. And it's been a very good take-up in that regard. And then, obviously, the banks have been there to outline to us uh, exactly what they are doing uh, to uh, help the farmers who may be in difficulty at the moment. Where can farmers go if they do need help at this moment, Deputy? Well, uh, the banks, I suppose, in fairness, I'm not defending the banks in any shape or form, they did outline that they are engaging in a very proactive way and very much on the ground uh, with their customers. Uh, they said that they haven't seen a huge difficulty at the moment, but they do uh, understand that there will be challenges going forward uh, as we head into the winter time. Because the farmers have spent most of their time at the moment looking after their crops and their animals and so on, they haven't really got down to the actual nuts and bolts of the finances at this stage, but they do see that coming over the next number of weeks. They said they are available and open for business. Uh, Bank of Ireland, for example, announced a new scheme, a fodder scheme in the last number of days, where money will be available at 3.89%, which is quite a competitive rate. There was a lot of discussion yesterday uh, at the committee about the actual interest rates that banks do charge uh, for overdraft interest, uh, which is quite high, about 8% approximately straight across the board. Uh, but the banks did indicate that they would have specific schemes available uh, to cater for farmers who had fodder difficulties at the moment at lower interest rates, I think, which is very important. Deputy Pat Deering, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Deputy Pat Deering, Chairman of the Joint Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine. We'll be back with the news headlines after these. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. And you are most welcome back to the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. We do thank you for listening this morning. If you would like to make a comment, 086-1800-658 is our comment number and Marie will be in with us a little later uh, to tell us what is on your mind. Now, later this week on Thursday in Dundalk, there's a meeting, a Brexit breakfast. It will be held by the Strategic Banking, I have to get this exactly right, the Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland and the Local Enterprise Office. And this meeting will be chaired by Nick Ashmore, who is CEO with the Strategic Banking Federation. Good morning to you, Nick. Good morning, Carl. Uh, I'm sorry for Strategic Banking Corporation of Ireland to give you your exact title. That's right, I'm sorry, it's a real mouthful. <laughs> we'll just go with the SBCI most of the time. SBCI. Tell us the, the purpose of the meeting, first of all, please, Nick. So the purpose of the meeting is to brief businesses on supports for the um, businesses' adjustment to Brexit. And while that's a very difficult thing to, to understand and actually get your head around because it's changing all the time, um, we do think there are things that we can do now to get ready uh, for what for Brexit coming and also to help finance businesses as they start to make changes. So the SPCI has supported a new uh, loan scheme, the Brexit loan scheme, in conjunction with the Departments of Enterprise and Agriculture. Um, and we're deploying that through the three banks, AIB, Ulster Bank and Bank of Ireland. Um, Details are available on our website, sbci.gov.ie, and the application process starts with a simple application to us before you then go to the bank with your guarantee in hand. Uh, Loans are available from €25,000 up to €1.5 million for up to three years uh, at an interest rate of 4%. And it's available for businesses with anything up to 499 employees, so small and then uh, small mid-cap businesses as well. The event tomorrow... Um, is a, a great rundown with people from Enterprise Ireland, uh, the local enterprise offices, Intertrade, ourselves, all talking about the different Brexit supports that are available, whether that be grants to get advice or low-cost um, lending, um, or even just a briefing on what Brexit might mean for their business as well. Now, you've you've brought this uh, breakfast meeting around the country, I believe. Well, I mean, this is going to be of particular interest to people in, in the Loudmead region, isn't it? 
That's absolutely right. And also we're expecting some people to come south across the border as well. So at the moment we have over 180 people registered for the event. We um, we will seek to squeeze in any, anybody else who'd like to come along. If they want to come along on the day, they can register when they arrive. Um, and it should be a very interesting session. And we should, of course, say that it's at the Ballymiscanlan Hotel. Eight okay. o'clock is the registration. Uh, and Sorry, 7.30 for breakfast, 8 o'clock then for, for the briefing. Brexit, we, we had uh, Allied Irish Banks on here on uh, Tuesday and they were saying that, you know, or sorry, of last week, but they were saying a lot of people, a lot of businesses haven't really started to prepare. I mean, are we running out of time in preparation? I think we are to some extent. Um, you know, Brexit is going to happen on the 29th of March. We just don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I think if it's a hard Brexit, then people need to be preparing for that contingency, especially in terms of the introduction of tariffs and um, and other border issues. Um, otherwise, you know, if there is a, a, a deal done on the on the exit and we're into a two-year transition period, there's a little bit more time um, to adjust and to, to see what that's going to mean. Um, but I do think at the moment it's very hard to call. And with the risk of a hard Brexit out there, it's important to be making contingency plans and doing some preparations. And whether that's starting to explore new markets or looking at where you source your raw materials from, all of those things need to be taken into account. Some of the things are easy to determine. Working out how much a tariff might impact your business under World Trade Organization rules is a, is a known quantity. And Intertrade Ireland can provide up to €2,000 of a grant to, to get advice and to work those figures out, um, or just to get general advice on Brexit. So there's, there's options before you decide what to do. There's also options to help you decide what, what the best approach is. And the key message is that there is a support system in place. Absolutely. And I think what we're trying to do here is get the policy measures in place in advance. So that's why we were excited to launch the loan in March and um, start, we've started deploying lending already. In terms of Brexit, I mean, we, we've only been talking there to Pat Deering uh, before the, the break about the the fodder crisis, for example, and Britain would have been a, a, an exporter of fodder to Ireland uh, over the years uh, when there was a, a crisis in the farming industry here. But this affects so many different strands of industry, farming and the community, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. Um, and it, it it's, it's obviously more important for those sectors that actively export to the UK or those sectors that are reliant on, on imports from the UK. So food businesses, food marketing, food preparation, uh, exporters are a particularly um, concern, but also small engineering businesses that operate in the UK um, or other you know, exporters that, that provide products that really are unique to the UK market are probably the most vulnerable. And then also, obviously, businesses along the border and the potential disruption from any kind of new controls on the border is is, a, is also a difficult factor, especially as some of the supply chains cross the border a number of times. I would suspect you will get a different range of questions tomorrow in regards to the border. Yes, I imagine we will. <laughs> What's your own view on it? Do you, do you th- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think we will see Brexit on the 29th of March. I think we'll definitely see Brexit. Um, I really don't see there's a way back from from Brexit itself at the moment, certainly not democratically in the UK, but it all is is um, a bit of a mess, but there doesn't seem to be a consensus for any particular position, let alone you know, a, a revoking of it. Um, the question is what kind of arrangement is ultimately made. And as you said, Nick, already 160 people have registered for this, but if people would like to get involved in this breakfast, Brexit breakfast tomorrow morning in the Ballymiscanlan, where can they go? Um, they just have to turn up on the day. We've closed registration for now, but we'll be very happy to see them if they want to come along tomorrow morning. So breakfast from 730 Absolutely. And then 8 o'clock is the, is the formal proceedings. Yep. We'll, and, we'll be done by 10, so you'll be back at your desk night time. And you would encourage people, if they are interested, to get along. Yep. Uh, Nikki Ashmore, Chief Executive with the SBCI, thank you for your time at the breakfast breakfast meeting tomorrow in the Ballymiscanlan Hotel, 7.30 for breakfast, 8 o'clock for the business part of the day. And as you heard there from Nick, it is a turn-up and you will be accommodated sort of a meeting, even though 160 people already registered for that. Now, the appointment of Drew Harris as Commissioner has generated great interest across the country and across the media. Kieran Deneen from the Irish Sun joins us. Kieran is the Public Affairs Correspondent with the newspaper. New Garda Commissioner Drew Harris addressed the media for the first time yesterday. Kieran, good morning to you. Morning, Carl. How did he come across? Yeah, look, he certainly came across um, very competent and uh, quite tough and, uh, you know, he took a number of different questions and was well able to answer them um, and, and give a good account of himself. Um, I guess he uh, he was on his own in the room, um, surrounded by photographers and, and, and reporters and uh, so that was kind of a change from other uh, commissioners who would gen- generally be flanked by uh, their their colleagues, he was sort of making a pitch that here I am, um, I'm going to answer all these questions myself and uh, try and put any concerns to bed. Is he making a statement in some ways, the fact that he was on his own, that, you know, this is a guy who is isolated from anything that happened in the past, he hasn't been involved in any of the previous scandals that have uh, surrounded this job? Well, I mean, he was asked uh, why he had decided to to, to just sit there on his own and uh, he made the point that there have been a number of... uh, I guess, uh, criticisms of him in the last few weeks and months of, of, a, of a personal nature, and it was up to himself to answer those questions, and uh, he didn't want to be dragging his colleagues into it. Um, so that was his his uh, argument. He he does say that uh, Ungarish Shiokana is, is his team now, and uh, he will, and he has great time for his colleagues in, in the Gardaí and will be relying on them in, in the new post, but he, he was certainly saying, I'm my own man, and... Um, you know, I, I'm able and willing to answer the questions myself. He also is a man who says that the, the, his relationship with the PSNI is behind him now, that he's very much a, a Garda Shiakana. Well, exactly that. And, um, you know, he says, uh, he, he, he admits that he, he's, his former role, he, he was very close to MI5. But uh, what he says is that um, any inform- sensitive information that he ever got as a police officer would have been passed on to the proper authorities, whether that's the on the Gardaí down here or the um, the, investig- the ombudsman in the north in relation to any issues. So he says he has no other information from his time as a police officer that would be of uh, interest 
uh, to the Gardaí down here. Uh, so questions about uh, the order, the 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 oath that he signed uh, in, in, in to the UK uh, police force. Um, uh, the, 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 is not an issue as far as he's concerned. He was uh, it was asked, "Is he Irish?" And he replied, "He said, I am Irish. I don't think I'm an outsider. Uh, I've been a police officer on this." Ireland all my life so um, that's that's his that's his argument He also said that he stands over the evidence that he gave to the Smithic Tribunal in 2012 uh, when he said that unnamed Gardaí colluded with a murder by the IRA of two senior RUC officers back in 1989 Yeah certainly and uh, you know as with other questions he has said he's always uh, passed on any any relevant information uh, when required in relation to uh, matters of collusion uh, or, or anything of that nature um, he did they, they did say that he was that you know that he'd worked with many officers from the Gardaí uh, along the border areas and that you know he the the, the vast vast majority were very brave uh, officers and he had a huge respect for them so but he, he certainly did stand by the evidence and effectively said that the the, the judge has made their um, findings and that yeah he, he stands by the evidence he gave he also stated, Kieran, that he, the, the threat posed by dissident republics remains very big, very large. Exactly, yeah. A very grave threat is what he says. And, uh, you know, he didn't want to get into specific uh, gangs, uh, as he put it, but that there it is a real live issue that they do want to carry out uh, um, attacks on this island. So that certainly seems to be uh, a real issue for, for the new commissioner, you know. How aware is he, do you think, of the whole uh, Keenan Hutch feud in Dublin and, and the effect that that has had on, on the city? I mean, that is a very good question, you know. Um, he, you know, he gave, I guess the answer he gave was probably the the expected answer. To, he said it was a multi-layered uh, problem. It was an international and a national and a local issue. And uh, he wanted to get rid of the uh, the, the, the Keenan and Hutch gangs. But he, he didn't go any further than that. And, um, you know, um, he... he we, we we can only hope that he will be well well um well versed in it he has met um some of the uh, officers who were responsible for uh the jailing of uh, Freddie Thompson so uh and he has praised them for their efforts so that certainly was a good sign but he does intend to break up that, that those gangs and that feud well exactly the word he used was downgrade he hopes to downgrade the uh, Kinahan and uh, Hutch gangs so um Quite, uh, I guess, uh, official language, but that, that is the language he used. You know, he wanted to downgrade the two gangs. Were there any references to his predecessors at all? Uh, he was he was asked, you know, um, you know, w- w- while the controversies uh, were unfolding down here on, on, under their two reigns, you know, what were his thoughts, or could he have done things any differently? And he responded, "Well, obviously, my thoughts were, I think, I, I'd be happy to ha- have a go at that." So. Um, he, he didn't really go into too much, but he certainly seems to be up for the challenge and 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 interested in uh, in, in in marking out his um, a new direction on, under his leadership. Finally, Karen, it seems very much he's he's going to get his hands dirty first of all before he starts making announcements on what he's going to do. Is, is that a fair assessment? Well, he well he's, he's he effectively says he wants to uh, a root and branch review of how funding and resources are are, are being used at the moment and. Uh, you know, and that's what he's working on at the moment to see if the money that that, that the Gardaí have is being used effectively and efficiently. So that's what I see, and he is certainly prepared for many changes, and he said it could be managerial or leadership changes. So that seems to be the the focus that, that, that he's taken at the moment. He's going to look at everything and see where 
he can do things differently. Kieran Deneen, Public Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Sun. Thank you. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun, and we thank you for joining us this morning. This, it would appear, is the week for think-ins. At the moment, Sinn Féin are just after wrapping up their thinking in Cavan, and tomorrow Fine Gael will begin their look ahead to the rest of the year and a possible election, if you look at the row that is developing with Fianna Fáil over the confidence and supply arrangement. Michael Brennan, who is the political editor with the Sunday Business Post, has been looking at the Sinn Féin uh, thinking, and I know doubt it will have a, a, a story or two to tell us about the Fine Gael one as well and the relationship with Fianna Fáil in a few seconds. But first of all, Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, Carl. The mood in Cavan and the mood in Sinn Féin, how would you describe it? Um, I have to say, uh, from talking to my colleague Hugh O'Connell, who was there earlier today, I think, look, at their, they're preparing for an early election. They're happy with their new leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, um, and they're looking forward to running a candidate in the presidency when Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have both opted out and aren't putting anyone in. So they're in, a, in an optimistic mood and also then there's a bit of aggression with the, the, the plan to move a motion of no conference in Housing Minister Noel, or Owen Murphy. Mm-hmm. We, we are going to have uh, our own uh, local Minister. Damien uh, uh, English will be in with us later on and, and on this programme, Padre Tobin of Sinn Féin has said that he would like to propose a motion of no confidence in Damien English as well. Do you think these motions will go to the House? I think certainly Sinn Féin have the facility to move them. I would suggest they'll probably concentrate their fire on Owen Murphy at the moment rather than Minister Damien English. Um, indeed, I met a Fine Gael minister last night who was bemused by the fact that Sinn Féin seemed to be sort of calling for motions of no conference in one minister after another, you know, that they, they can't focus their attention on one at a time. So I, I think it's just a sign of an attempt by Sinn Féin to ramp up the pressure on the government and, you know, they will also be be accusing Fianna Fáil of keeping the government in office and, you know, hanging on hanging on to the arrangement they have with them. It's very much uh, the Mary Lou Macdonald show this week. I mean, this is indeed her first uh, thinking as party leader. Do you sense that because Mary Lou has now come into office and, and that this makes them more prepared to go into government? I think they, they certainly have adopted a position which gives them more options. The fact that they're saying, look, that they will, they're willing to go into government as a minority partner, you know, a policy shift they made well over a year ago. But I think Mary Lou MacDonald as leader makes it more possible for them to go into government. When Jerry Adams was leader, there was all the, the old baggage of, of the troubles and so on and complaints of victims and, and the rest of it. Mary Lou MacDonald doesn't have that, so it, it, makes, it makes them more palatable. But the simple fact is both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, their most likely partners, have still ruled them out. But as you know, when, when the results of an election come in, things can change. Now again, yesterday, Pierce Doherty uh, made it very clear that the IRA, to quote himself, has left the stage. It's still, and, and I heard uh, Mary Lou making similar comments, but it, it is still hanging over them, isn't it, the IRA past? It is certainly. Um, I would say what was interesting, though, in regard to that is I, I was at the briefing yesterday in the Garda headquarters in the Phoenix Park with the new Garda commissioner, Drew Harris, and the questions to him were very much all about dissident republicans and international terrorism as the key threats facing the state. So while the, 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 the IRA passed as there as an issue for Sinn Féin, the big focus of our, the security services is dissident Republicans and the sort of international terrorists who have perpetrated you know, terrible atrocities abroad uh, so far. And we also had the revelation from Pierce Doherty yesterday that uh, 
the Union Jack could indeed one day fly over Leinster House as part of a deal on a United Ireland. Yes, um, you know, there, there's been you know there's been some interesting suggestions um, from from Sinn Fein and others about things that might make a United Ireland more palatable to the Unionist population. But, you know, I think we're still at the moment in, in sort of um, imaginative territory. There's some thinking in Sinn Féin and elsewhere that Brexit has changed everything and United Ireland is much more likely. But I think realistically, for most of the unionist community, I don't think it has changed their view that much. But it is it is positive, I think, to see gestures like that being talked about because you certainly can have cannot have a United Ireland where one side insists on keeping all its flags and symbols and anthems you know, there will have to be an accommodation if it if it's ever to come to pass. The exact quote, uh, Michael, from Pierce Hardy was that we need a conversation about symbolism for the million people who d- identify as British and who believe deeply in their identity. It is important that those symbols are part of this New Ireland. That's quite a statement from a Sinn Féin TD. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you could rewind the clock back five years, 10, 20, you know, and, and nothing like that would ever be uttered. So I, I think it is positive um i remember talking you know earlier this year to mary lou mcdonald asking her would she adopt you know the approach of say the likes of nelson mandela who when he took over as leader in south africa you know he famously put on the Afrikaner uh, baseball cap went to the rugby world cup final you know which would be seen as very much an Afrikaner sport and and would mary lou mcdonald do things like you know attending orange order parades now she she did sort of say that she hadn't really been invited but she she expressed a willingness to make those sort of symbolic gestures which which are important, and I think we'll need a lot more of that, and especially to try and get power sharing back. And of course, we saw Arlene Foster at Fermanagh matches this year. Yeah, I think I think actually that was one of those in, a, in an unfortunately rather forgettable season for Gaelic football. That was probably one of the highlights uh, to, to see an event like that. It'll definitely make the highlight reels. And of course, Sinn Féin yesterday they did hand out a draft document entitled "Irish Unity: An Activist Guide" at that meeting in Cavan. So clearly, it's very much on their agenda. It is, yeah, and I think you're going to see more of it during the presidential race. You know, Leonie Rita, their MEP, is the, the favourite currently to be announced as the Sinn Féin presidential candidate later this month. Um, but if it's her or somebody else, I think there'll be a big push on the party to use the campaign to push that United Ireland policy. And I think it'll be very helpful for them in trying to again, attract more transfers and become a bit more transfer-friendly with the, with a general election possible, I think, early next year and, and the local elections then in May as well. Do you have a, a suspicion, Michael, that this general election campaign will be very, very important to Sinn Féin? Yeah, it, it certainly will, but one, one point that has been made by a lot of people is Sinn Féin did quite well to win, win some seats in, in tight constituencies in the 2016 general election and they, you know, they will find it very hard to keep those next time out. So while there's an expectation that they might go from 23 seats to 30 seats, those those seven extra seats will be very hard won. And I, I think it's going to be a challenge for Mary Lou Macdonald to manage expectations, you know, and and to deliver the type of result that some people think think that she can. Now, Michael, while all that was going on in Cavan yesterday, uh, a, a bit of a spat was developing between Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar. Are you surprised that they're sort of undermining their confidence and supply agreement so close to starting budget talks today? I think the biggest surprise is from Taoiseach Leo Radker's point of view. Uh, you know, I, I should say in some ways I'm surprised and others I'm not, and I'll explain that. You know, the Taoiseach likes to keep his opponents off guard. He likes to effectively jab at them and, and see if he can knock them back a bit. And 
by releasing the letter he sent to Micheál Martin, offering him a longer deal in government and looking to get it done before the budget talks, he was effectively putting the pressure back on Micheál Martin to state his position. The, the weird thing about it is, though, if you want to keep somebody on your side and keep them in a sort of a, 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 a unity agreement, releasing letters you've sent them privately, releasing them in public, isn't exactly a great, great faith. And I, I don't think anyone personally would have posted a letter to somebody and then maybe put it on social media a week later, which is what the Taoiseach did. So it's a, it's a strange type of politics. And I think, you know, that he should want to be careful in terms of how he's operating because sometimes you can be too clever by half. Michal Martin has very much said, you know, and I heard government ministers this morning, or Fianna Fáil representatives this morning saying that the agreement is in place until the budget. The budget uh, will come into effect roughly by Christmas. So until Christmas, this agreement would seem to be secure. But Fianna Fáil don't look like they're going to extend it beyond that at this moment in time. Um, certainly at this moment in time, that's correct. The only thing we've seen in recent weeks is some suggestions from senior people in Fianna Fáil, like their recently appointed deputy leader, Dara Kaleri, that they would be willing to do a 12-month extension to the deal after the budget. You also had Michael McGrath, their finance spokesman, saying you couldn't have an election till April at the earliest because of the Brexit talks. So the smoke signals are there that they're willing to extend but they're absolutely not willing to um, give the Taoiseach and Fine Gael a, a, a sort of two-year extension before even the budget is negotiated. So I think that that is just not going to happen. Um, and, and the Taoiseach knows that, but I think he just wants to prod them and uh, you know cause, cause some angst and, and keep his options open by, by putting out that letter yesterday. Regina Doherty this morning, the TD for Mid-East, of course, described the reaction of Fianna Fáil as childish. I, I wouldn't agree with that, to be honest. I, I think, you know, Fianna Fáil probably have some cause to 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 be a bit annoyed with some of the, the play acting that's going on along here. And, of course, Regina Doherty is the, the Minister for Employment Affairs and, a, a, you know, a key member of Leo Radker's cabinet. She and other ministers have to defend his actions and his strategy and, and insist that it's the opposition, Fianna Fáil, have got it all wrong. But I think, you know, in this case, the instigator was clearly the Taoiseach and it wasn't a play by Fianna Fáil. Was his timing delivered, do you think, with the fact that they're going to sit down today and start discussing the budget? I, I think there's a bit of that as well. You know, if he wanted to be more mischievous, he could have he could have held out um, until until next week when Fianna Fáil are due to have their own thinking event. But I think it, it's him trying to set the agenda himself and put Michal Martin on the back foot. So I think we've we've seen that sort of approach from from the Taoiseach before. What's your feeling on the election? You mentioned uh, earlier in this interview that perhaps after Christmas. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there, there is, you know, every, every so often there's a, a flurry of election speculation. And, of course, this latest letter spat will increase it again. But I think, you know, there, there has been movement for some time to say that, look, at early next year, there's a window to have a general election before the local and European elections in May next year. It, it is possible, given Fianna Fáil are now talking about you can't have an election until April, that it will, that it will go on. But I just think... Given the housing crisis, the problems in health, it will be very difficult to see a sort of minority government keeping going much longer than it already has. So I still think there'll be a lot of preparations being made for, for spring spring next year. And finally, you definitely got the impression uh, this week that Sinn Féin are on an election voting. Oh, yes, and they all, they all are. Like, if you look at all the parties, a lot of them have selection conventions done. You know, Sinn Féin obviously have their... 
two candidates and Kevin Monaghan where they were the constituency where they're having the thinking they have uh, Matt Carty MEP running and and Paulie and Pauline Tully as well so it's it's effectively they're they're ready in that constituency there's others where they have to organize but you know, they, all the parties know that. Look at the 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 end is coming, and they they want to be ready, so they have time to get their candidates out there. The end is now. Michael Brennan from the Sunday Business Post. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We're going to be back with Minister Damien English after this quick break. Michael Reed on LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. Our guest in studio is Minister Damien English, Minister of State at the Department of Housing, Planning and Local Government with special responsibility, of course, for housing and urban development. Good morning to you, Minister. Morning, Colin. And thank you you for coming into the studio. Um, First of all, I'm going to ask you about your reaction to the homeless figures which were released last week and 9,891 people in emergency accommodation, an increase of 19 from July, 3,867 children. The Merchants Key organisation described this as a defining moment in Irish history. They would even claim to you that there are more than 10,000 people by the time you add in the sleepless, sleeping roof on the, on the, on the street, etc. These are not good figures. The figures aren't good and, and they haven't been good for for the last couple of years, uh, despite extremely high increases in 15 and 16. And that's why we put together a, a, an action plan for housing to, to tackle this and to provide the housing solutions we need. Uh, we, ex- we, we, you know, we track the figures every month. We publish them. Uh, that's a decision we made. Oh, Murphy made that decision a long time ago that we would publish the figures, uh, warts and all. We don't hide this. We're very honest about it. Uh, we're very clear on this that it's priority number one for government. We don't believe families should spend time in emergency accommodation, have to live in a hotel or a B&B, and we have that now. There's a, over over 1,500 families in in emergency accommodation. Uh, and and so we, we are trying to provide them home. So there's no one denying the figures, no one's hiding that. We have plans there that if we stick to that, I have no doubt, we'll, we'll solve this and we'll solve the housing situation. Because if you look at last year, where we're showing the progress, over 4,700 people left the home situation and are in a home. And that's the kind of progress we're making. It's not enough to fix it uh, straight away. We wish it was. But I mean, there's a plan there. It's a structured plan. There's a there's funding of six billion taxpayers money behind it. It's a five year plan. It's been implemented. It's delivering the houses. And if we stick to that, it will solve the housing situation. Now, I wish and certainly more Murphy wishes that you could do it overnight. It doesn't just work that way. What we are in charge of as a department and in control of is to bring forward the new houses and delivery of houses. And there'll be over 8,000 new social houses this year in the system. We can manage that and control that. We can't manage or control the numbers who present as homeless. They come for many different reasons. We make sure that they're all looked after with emergency accommodation, that they're not on the streets. We make sure of that. And we find them a temporary house when we can, a rented house. And then we will get them a permanent house as we go along. And everybody has an individual story. Everybody has a journey. Uh, but there is a lot of movement of the homeless figures. Uh, it's not the same people that were in hotels three years ago. Because again, thousands left it last year. So, But you can understand people's annoyance absolutely. and frustration. I mean, we're annoyed. I mean, we're annoyed and too. We don't want this. I mean, who would it's not anywhere to raise a family and that's why in the short term while we are bringing on all the new houses and again this year in this country you'll see an additional 20,000 new houses built over 8,000 of them will be for social houses you know, some will be affordable, some for the private sector as well. So there's a, there's a lot happening there. So we don't want anybody. But while just I want to make the point, Carl, while we're building the new houses because it does take a little bit of time to build them 
we have to make sure that we make things a little bit better in the emergency accommodation. So we, that's why we have over 500 family hub places, which are purpose-built accommodation for families who haven't got a house. Uh, but have, you, a have, you, have you underestimated the crisis in terms of, you say 4,000 families got moved into, into mm. new housing, um, but the figures the figures haven't reflected that because new people have come onto the homeless. The vulture mortgages, for example. Mm. All these issues that are contributing to this, are you doing enough to tackle the issues at the very bottom that are causing the problem? Yes, I, I do believe we are, and, I, and I'll tell you why. If you look at the, in, in, in the years of 15 or 16, before we put our plan together, you had increases in homeless families and situations of 50% and 70% per year. Those massive jumps and increases aren't there now. You know, if you compare this year to last year, it'll be less than a 10% increase. It's probably even less than that. In Dublin, it's stabilised. So it's every month you see maybe... Uh, the figure in July it, was 19. It sneaks up by 19 or 20 families. So it's not this massive increases. So that would prove to me, if you analyse the figures, that our interventions are working because you don't see these big jumps. It's still far too many. And we don't want these thousands of people in, in, in emergency accommodation and we'll make sure they don't. The other area where we intervene is rough sleepers. And the rough sleepers count is held twice a year officially. And that's a show on a 40% drop that it was about 200 now it's down to about 140 uh, people who are living on the street that's different to people in emergency accommodation like a hotel or a family hub or a B&B they're different categories of people and different solutions and and we're making great progress on the rough sleepers and I've no doubt that with, with providing all these new homes uh, the permanent homes the leased homes the acquired homes the empty properties brought back in all of that gives us the supply of housing we need and we will be able to fix this I've, I've no doubt about that because uh, I've been But do you think you're going to get the time to fix it? I think most sensible people look on and see that a five-year plan is a five-year plan. We're, we've just completed two years of it and all the targets for delivery of houses uh, is on track and actually ahead of But ahead the of homeless time. figures going But the up. homeless figures are still going up. So that's a bit we can't control that we're not, you know, because that But happens. that does have to reflect on you guys in government. It, it reflects where society is at and, and it happens for different reasons. And you mentioned vulture funds. To be honest with you, every person that becomes homeless is a different story behind them. Mm. It's family breakup. It's an issue with the home. It could be a renting situation. It could be a, a banking situation. There's not one reason. It could be a landlord landlord. Selling a, it could be apartment. landlord. There's a lot of reasons there. Now, we do intervene at a very early stage. If someone identifies to our system that they're about to become homeless, we intervene there. And we've kept thousands of people in their homes uh, before they even become homeless. Because that didn't happen, we'll say, maybe three or four years ago. And that's why you have a t- figure of thousands. Because in the early years, there was no intervention to stop it happening in the first place. How many houses are currently part of this five-year plan? How many are left to be built as part of that five-year plan? The, the five, I'd say what we brought in the system in the last two years is, is a little over 14,000. There was 7,000 additional houses last year. There was there, there will be 8,000 houses additional this we, year. We heard from Social Justice Ireland yesterday that there are 87,000 people on the social housing waiting list. No, and it, it does not actually. It's down to about 75,000 because it's reduced. That 87,000 was last year's figure mm. and it's, it's down by about 10%. Um, so, it's but still a huge figure. But, it, but again, Carl, can we be clear on this now? The people on, on the housing waiting list, they're not necessarily people who are homeless because about half of them are in homes today already supported by the state through the through the, the through the rental scheme, um, rental subsidy scheme. Uh, some of them are living at home with their families. About a small, about ten percent of that of that figure would be actually in emergency accommodation. The majority are in a house, but want a more permanent house. So it's important that we know what, what we're talking about here, and, and there's, there's separate issues. And actually. That waiting list has come down year on year. It's come down in, in from 16 to 17 and 17 to 18 by over 10% both times. Again, proves that we're, we're making progress here. But we shouldn't really have a waiting list for home for houses, should we? Oh, well, I, 
I, I think you're always going to have a waiting list for. We for, shouldn't have homeless no, no, people. No, no, you shouldn't have homeless people, and, and that's why I was saying we were correct. That you certainly shouldn't have homeless families. You'll probably always, you know, there's always a bit of rough sleep, some rough sleepers for different reasons there, and we want to deal with them through the housing first concept. You shouldn't have homeless families, but there is a little bit of time lag. I mean, if someone becomes homeless today for whatever reason, it, it's very hard to have them a house tomorrow, right? And if you uh, analyse. In the past, people probably spent two years or three years in a hotel. That doesn't happen now. The majority of people that become homeless now might spend five or six months in a family hub and then we find them a home. Uh, others, we find them a home quite quickly. So the story there has changed compared to what it would have been two years ago. So again, that's progress. But you shouldn't have homelessness. But on a housing waiting list, that's somebody who are living home with their parents, have started a new family or in rental accommodation who want a permanent social house. And there'll always be a bit of a lag there. But again, we've set out an ambitious plan to bring in 110,000 social house over years. And I have to say, I find it strange that other parties accuse me and Owen Murphy and my party of being against social housing. Our plans are more ambitious than anybody's and we're the ones in government I'm, making it happen. I'm going to ask you about that because, I mean, do you think yourself and Owen Murphy are fit for purpose for these jobs? I absolutely do, Carl, because we 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 put again. No Murphy is the senior minister here and has led off on this, but we have put together a five-year plan to increase the supply of housing. But he's constantly getting bashed across course, the media. It's, the, it's, the posh it's, minister it's, again, which is silly stuff. But it's it's Sinn Fein want to play politics rather than actually help people who are hurting and homeless. They'd rather play politics. But if you if you you have to see where we started here, and and, and I heard people say yes, so with seven years ago, seven years ago you couldn't give a house away. That we, when we came into office in 2011, there was 3,000 unfinished estates abandoned in this country left. Now, that's now down to less than 200. So we've addressed that, right? But there, were, there was no demand for housing seven years ago. The difficulty uh, started arising, in, say, in 14, 15, got really bad in 15, 16. We intervened with the new government when and put a plan in place with, with, five, with, sorry, with 6 billion taxpayers' money behind it. Now, that, this year to spend on housing is 2 billion. Right, it was it was less than a billion a couple of years ago. So when we have the money now, we're spending. And I think that myself and Owen Murphy and our department and all our stakeholders, which is the local authorities, all the frontline services, all the NGOs, are doing a good job. The delivery of housing now is dramatically increased. It, it, I, I accept it is hard to see that when you still see a high number of homeless people. Three thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven children living in uh, emergency. But, but Carl, just want to finish this. The only way that we can solve that. The only way and there's no magic pen, there's no overnight solution, is to build more houses. And if you compare this year, you will see over 20,000 houses built in this country. Two I'm years see, ago... I'm seeing loads of houses being built, all the way from Dunshockton yeah, to here it's, this it's, morning. It's there happening. Are loads, it's, but it's a lot happening. of them are being sold for big, big money. No, that's not true, actually, now. And again, Carl, I have to take you up on that. If you check the facts on that, it will show that last year, first-time buyers, over 70% bought a house... Uh, under 320. Actually, uh, the majority outside of Dublin bought them for less than 250. And that's the kind of cost to build a house. You know, it, it, they're building a very high quality house here today. I opened houses yesterday in a, in Athlone. The rough cost was about 210, 220,000 social, housing, social on, housing outside the cost of the site. You know, in Avenue today, there's 800 houses being built across four or five sites. So, like, there's a lot of activity that wasn't there a year ago, two years ago. And I think you have to judge me and Owen Murphy on that activity. Well, I'm going to ask you to judge this because Pather Toby on this programme yesterday the Sinn Féin deputy said that not alone is is he going to back the confidence uh, no confidence motion in Owen Murphy but he's going to call for a, a no confidence motion in you yourself as well this is what Pather had to say In Mead West currently we have a government minister junior minister in housing none of the towns in Mead West have actually rental caps even though people are crucified currently with the rent that they're actually paying Damien English has been a disaster with regards housing and I would actually call 
for no confidence in Damien English's activity with regards to housing as well. Mead is, Mead is on the bottom with regards to investment in social housing throughout the state, and that needs to change. And is that something you can bring to the doll when it comes back well, after the it, summer? The, 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 the first job of work is to ensure that we force the hand of Fianna Gael to uh, do the right thing with regards to housing. And the first way to do that is to call for Owen Murphy's resignation. And then and Damien then we, English. My call will also be for, for Damien English's resignation as well. You're a disaster. Look, to be honest with you, I think Pather's been a little bit silly here and he's actually making things up as well, which is typical Pather. You know, he looks, he, he looks a bit of spin. In terms just, of... Just, again, he's, he said there that Mead's on the bottom of the pile for social housing. So that's just not true. Last year, Mead Local Authority delivered over, over 1,100 housing solutions. Uh, they have 20 projects in the pipeline funding about 82 million secured from my department. I meet Mead County Council on a regular basis. I have told them to bring forward more projects, new projects. We've worked with them on that and that we will fund them all. Mead County, Mead Local Authority is well ahead on the stakes for social housing because we're in an area of high pressure and that's my job to make sure of that. And even in many areas of Mead County, Mead Local Authority, my job as Minister is, yes, to, to, to serve the country, but also I'm doing my job as a METD. And if Pather ever took time, ever took time to have a conversation with me in housing, which, by the way, he's never had which I would find it very strange that as a, as a and you're, 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 you're open to having a conversation absolutely I meet his colleagues of his parties every day of the week and other parties to discuss housing solutions again I listened back to Pather's interview a long interview there I didn't hear one solution being put forward by Pather so I just think he's been a little bit silly a little bit, chill, a little bit childish my job is to, to deliver for the country me local authority have been given a, a target uh, and funding secured to deliver 1200 new permanent houses over the next couple of years in this, in, in, in this county uh, I've spent the last I, this year already in the last couple of months I was opening new houses in Ashbourne in Trim in in uh, in uh, in Atbay the other day, there's houses to be opened in Avon in a few weeks. There's a lot of houses being built in Avon. There's projects on the way in Carton. Oh, sorry, approved for for Carton, Kilmain and Wood, you mentioned, Donor, you, you mentioned Kells, Trim. So you mentioned, actually, you so mentioned there's a lot me, of houses you, going on. You mentioned when I was in for Michael before about the the vacant houses and the plan to try and get them back into the market. Have you made any progress on that? We have, but again, there's two, there's two types of vacant houses here. One is vacant houses belonging to the state. Uh, and we would have concentrated over the last two years, again, working with our local authorities like Mead County Council, like Loud County Council and many others to bring forward those back. Over 8,500 empty properties that belong to the state are being brought back into use and they're back in the system now. Providing so there is homes. progress there. There's massive progress there. Now, where there's not enough progress is on people's private own homes and you drive around our towns and you do see empty properties over the shop mm. different places we've changed the planning rules we've changed the, the, the guidelines around those vacant properties we provided schemes of money Michael didn't like them by the way funny enough but we provided good schemes there that are very attractive and very beneficial to everybody but people don't seem to want them for whatever reason so we'll monitor that because we do and want to tackle vacant homes and bring them back in as well but again going back to I'm what's gonna ask happening you the, the, issue, the issue raised by yeah. Pather about rental caps Again, a strange thing that Pather has an ambition that Meads towns would would be in would be in rent pressure zones. It's not an ambition of mine that that, that in our towns would have high rents. Pather wants that because he wants to be able to complain about it. That's not my ambition. There is a formula there which judges towns uh, if they need to be in the rent pressure zone. And thankfully, uh, our towns in Midwest have not qualified for but that. Is that, that means, like, is that not likely to change soon with the developments it, it, of it, Shires, for it, example? It, it might, no, I don't think it will because, again, the supply of housing is being addressed. 
progressed and we're, we're making progress there. Again, you, you just take Navan as an example. This time last year, I think there was very few houses being built in Navan. Today, if you walk the sites, there's over 800 houses under construction. And likewise in Dunshockland and other parts of the county too. And they will provide the accommodation for people who are living in Mead today, who want to have a house at an affordable price, as well as new people coming in to work in those jobs as well. So we are the supply of housing has gone up. But that was not happening two years ago. So that's why you have difficulties today. It comes back to the supply of housing. Our job of government was to fix that. And that's what we are fixing. I have two very quick questions mm. for you to finish up. Number one, you are prepared to talk to Deputy Father Tobin about the housing crisis. Well, well, again, Carl, I want to be very clear on this. I have an, an absolute open door. Everyone knows that because I've been dealing with the housing now for a couple of years. I've been every local authority, meeting all the councils of every party, right? And I sit down with owner Bryn of Sinn Féin on a weekly basis on solutions too. I'll talk solutions. But to, I'll be straight with you. Pather has never actually sat down with me uh, to talk about housing. Okay. And lastly, do you expect to be the minister after Christmas? Well, again, I, I can't dictate how things go, but I, I would like that the government was will be will be kept in office to do a good job. Uh, Leo yesterday, uh, the Taoiseach, uh, last week wrote to Michael Martin, setting out why we wanted to renegotiate the conference and supply agreement. We want stability in this country. We have a job to do. Uh, it's about housing. It's about health. Many issues, including Brexit. And if if there's, the conference supply agreement is due to end this in a few months' time, it's important that to, you will start addressing that today, not wait till Christmas to talk well, about it. We will certainly be back to that topic very soon. Minister Damien English, thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed show. Uh, Minister Damien English has just left the studio and Marie Cairns joins us with comments and Marie, Damien English is on the comment list. Yes, lots coming in already uh, to that interview uh, and, and mixed reaction, I have to say. Um, Eileen was in touch and Eileen was saying, I'm listening to the junior minister there. I live in Meath and I'm just wondering if he's doing such a good job, why is there so many problems to do with housing in the county? Does he accept that many people cannot afford to pay rents in some parts of the county that are being demanded because there's such a, a shortage of supply and also the numbers who are on the housing list? They may be building some social housing, but they're not building enough. I think it was 87,000 last year. It's down to 70-odd thousand this year across the country on the list. Seamus was in touch and Seamus says that he agrees with um, Damien English in relation to Sinn Féin that Sinn Féin are all bluff and bluster. All you have to do is look at their record in the North Cahill to see how they are dealing with housing there. They aren't. Maybe you should ask Padda Tobin about that. And that's, of course, if they ever return to government in the North so there you go. If a government ever returns in the north. Uh, John from Navin says that in a recent interview on the show, Deputy Thomas Byrne made re- reference to the number of houses being made available or being built around the country. And he says that local authority housing has also been made ava- available recently in at Boy and Kildalki. And I think Damien English list mm. was trying to list yes, out a whole load of them, um, which further shows that houses are becoming available, which seems to contradict the claims that the government aren't taking measures to tackle the crisis. Well, the Minister was trying to outline the measures that have been taken. Uh, another listener on the same topic, and this is Joanne, and Joanne says, uh, min- or Junior Minister Damien English, he's not just a Minister of State representing Meath, he is representing the whole country. And it's not just in Meath that, that there's a problem with housing, it's everywhere. And himself and the Housing Minister are not tackling the issue, they are not coming up with enough solutions to deal with the problem. We only have to look at the numbers. It's creeping up and creeping up. And we we have touched on that uh, 
all I mean we've done the, numerous over, last, over yeah. the last two weeks since you've been and, in the, and, and in over the seat, yeah. recent months as well uh, and, and th- this listener is just saying that it can't go on so that's just a flavour on that topic that we've got in so far. We also, Brendan was in touch from Drawhada. Brendan phoned in and he thought it was unusual. We had the two county councillors on at the top of the programme that they didn't know when you asked them, Carl, what the budget was in 2018. And now the money has run out. And can I just say in their defence that we only rang them this morning. And so And they were at a budget was. meeting for 2019. Yeah. And to be fair, it was on the agenda. They just didn't have it to hand. You so. know, they came out of that meeting and they were take very good call. to come out and take they were so they say so they wouldn't have had the figures in front of mm. them so just in their defence in this instance I have to mention that but um, Brendan also mentioned uh, c- concerning uh, the mayoralties in uh, we have a mayor of Drogheda and I know I think there's a mayor in Navin as well there is there isn't is, there yeah. yes and uh, regarding the positions uh, this listener feels that it shouldn't be up to Pax to elect the mayor that it should be down. He, this listener feels anyway. Brendan, it should be down to the the county manager or the people. Uh, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. Yeah, maybe it should some, go out to the there's people. There's some movement on that in Cork as well. Isn't there it? is, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think there's talk about it at Dublin County Council as well, if my memory serves me correct. So look, I've lots more, Cahill. We ran out of time because you were, went over there with the minister. So any that I got in, we'll make more time for tomorrow. And the good news is that Damien English is quite happy to sit down and have a chat and a cup of tea with Padotog. Oh, well, sure. I'm sure they've done that on many occasions. So at least we brought that together I'm sure they've done that on many occasions. My thanks to you, to Marie Cairns, to Maggie and to Chris. Paul is along next with the Mid Morning Show. We'll see you tomorrow morning just after 9.15. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.